Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Today, I'm joined by two ladies with one thing in common, their love and passion for history and historical archives and artifacts. Joan Abella is nicknamed Joan of Archives, and Joan is a visiting senior lecturer at the University of Malta, but also founded a voluntary organization, the Notarial Archives Foundation, in a bid to generate funds from the private sector to save historic archives and to create much needed awareness about the importance of Maltese paper heritage. The organisation is supported by over 40 volunteers, ranging from highly specialised professionals to housewives and students. Caroline Tonner also has a rich career working within the arts and culture sector, including posts as producer, presenter, council member, and now the curator of Palazzo Falzon, the oldest building in Medina, also referred to as the Norman House, but joins Joan as the treasurer of the Notarial Archive Foundation. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Trudy. It's a real pleasure. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about history today and we're going to be talking about what you do. But I just want to kick off by saying you both have very successful careers, but you have one thing in common, which is the Notarial Archives Foundation, which we're going to come to in a moment. But you've both been interested in history and all things historical for a long time. Has that been forever? Has that been from an early age? Were you always interested in history? Joan first. Yes, yes, for sure. I remember my father telling me what present I would like for Christmas. And I would always say books, books and history books. We lived in Floriana and uh, he used to go to Valette every day. And he used to come back with, you know, any type of history books, and I was fascinated. And he was a history lover as well. And I remember just browsing through history books and, you know, just imagining time before. It, 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 a book for me was like a time machine. So I was always very much intrigued in history, and I always loved history since I was very, very young. Before I speak to Caroline and find out where her interest comes from, do you know what sparked that passion? Do you know if there was something that happened when you were young that kind of just woke you up to history and the history of Malta? I think it was my father and the fact that um, I was surrounded by his love for history. It was something I grew up with and I fell in love with. It was something so natural that even when I went to secondary school and, you know, we, we didn't have enough time during lessons to to complete our um, uh, matriculation exercises. We used to stay during break. And I remember it was a pleasure for me to hear about history. I mean, it wasn't like um, I'm doing something which, you know, I, I don't really like. For me, it was a pleasure listening to history and also at times, you know, like um, I would just dream of living in the past. Although now I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have no AC. Um, question for you, though. You must have then been maybe 
quite isolated because there's not an awful lot of kids that are interested in history. Yes. In fact, I remember my summer days spent reading, reading, reading. And since we, we used to live in Floriana, you know, there are a lot of public gardens there. And I remember that a lot of children used to go out to play. And I was always, always, you know, um, the, the kind of girl who used to prefer staying at home, reading, reading, reading. I, I was that type of person. Perhaps I was a bit let's call me weird, but, um, you know, I'm a dreamer. And I think that's what, um, that's what also pushed me to persevere in life, because I dream a lot. And not only do I dream, but I try to uh, make my dreams come true as much as possible. We're going to be talking about this massive dream that has come true for you, and I'm really excited to be finding out about that. Before we get there, Caroline, does that describe you as well? Were you interested in history as a child? Not that early, not like Joan, not really. But um, my parents, uh, since I was young, um, every time we were abroad, they would take us to exhibitions, museums. I was always fascinated with these spaces, you know, these wonderful things coming to life, really, giving them a different meaning. It could be a science museum, it could be a wax museum, whatever. There's always a narrative. And that was where I really was lost, you know. I, I really enjoyed that. That's, that's the dream, that's the journey of my dream. Um, but I was very much interested also in fashion. And uh, so that's why eventually I ended up um, looking at history, but mostly um, specializing in dress, dress history. Uh, so, yes, there's always a link to the childhood. But I guess as you grow older, you meet different people, you sort of, you know, carve your own niche. And uh, I started from a very young age. Um, I remember there was a, a local shop in, in Paula, and she was asking for girls, 15-year-olds. Uh, she was organizing a fashion show, and I was so thrilled to go on a catwalk. But I was also observing the organization of it, like the light people, sound people, the stage, the setup, the compare. I was more fascinated with behind the scenes rather than being there on, on the catwalk. So that was a long time ago. Uh, and then I, uh, at the age of 19, I, uh, I started Elegance magazine. So again, it was a publication. I tried to involve as many women, young women at the time, because I was young myself, uh, to write, to design, to take photos. So somehow, uh, fashion and, and art, uh, creativity, and then history obviously gives you a better background and, uh, you know, it's a springboard then to other things. But history obviously is what you do today. And this is your day-to-day. -day. So I'm going to ask both of you lovely ladies, and start, just starting with you, Caroline, because you are the curator of Palazzo Falzon. What do you do day-to-day? -day? A lot of things, and so much different than what I thought a curator would be doing. Uh, the curator is supposed to look after the artefacts and obviously the management of uh, the museum, but it's much more than that. Uh, firstly, I look at the best investment, which is, uh, you know, my team of um, both uh, staff and volunteers. So those are the, the treasures, really. And I look at their strengths, 
their interest and I try to fire their passion as much as I can and always give them ownership of small projects. So whether it's research, whether it's um, curatorial, um, so your, yeah. your role is not just uh, looking after the palazzo and not look, just looking after the artifacts. It's also looking after the people in, an, in a human resources way, encouraging them. Well, it's the people that make the place. Because if they are very knowledgeable, not just academically, uh, but also they're taking interest. Uh, we have so many objects in the house. And if, if when they speak to, uh, they encounter visitors and, you know, they have that spark in their, in, their, in their eyes and there's that passion, they feel that it's like their home. They really want to show off what we have. So uh, that's something that needs a lot of encouragement and uh, also social media. A lot of things uh, are under my wing. That's fantastic. Well, Joan of Archives, uh, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, basically, um, I juggle with, with things as much as possible. Being a mother, a lecturer, a volunteer. Um, at one point, I was also a consultant historian um, to the rehabilitation project. So my day is basically split up into various things. And, you know, I can start the day by just preparing lunches. And then go on to, you know, like answering the phone. And But as Caroline is saying, um, I think the, the, the thing that takes up much of my time is basically um, encouraging my team. Because ultimately, when you are leading, um, you are the receiver of everyone's problems. And perhaps, um, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate that you have that one person who um, is receiving all the time, receiving all the problems, all the, and they expect you um, to have a solution there and then. So most of the time, I think I am thinking how to solve problems. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say you are leading, I assume you are referring to the Notarial Archives Foundation. Exactly, yes, as, a, as a, the president of the foundation. And the founder, which leads me on nicely, because this is what brings you both together. But I want to know what it does. What, what is the foundation? What's the aim of the foundation? Well, the aim of the foundation is to support the chief notary to government um, to preserve the collection of notarial documents. There are about... Can I get this yes. for myself and anybody else who's listening? Can I get that sentence in layman's terms, in easy speak? Well, yes. Um, the thing is that um, for many, many years, the notarial archives, which are legal documents, um, were not considered historical documents. And therefore, they were, they were very carelessly kept. Now, um, as an under, undergraduate, I needed to visit the archives. And the first thing that, that you know, hit me when I visited the place, first of all, it wasn't accessible. So you needed to, to fix an appointment to, to go to the archives. And um, as soon as you got the appointment, you'd find out that you turn up and the place was closed because they tell you they're short of stuff. You know, it was very, very difficult. Once I, I, um, I got in, I got a cultural shock because, you know, there were documents played all over. And it was really like I was, um, you know, looking at the documents and looking at the dates and saying 1540, wow, this is King Henry VIII. 
you know, 1570s. This on, is Elizabeth the first. Let me just catch this because I don't want anyone to miss this. There are documents from the time of King Henry VIII. Even previous documents before Christopher Columbus discovered America. Our earliest document is 1431, and it's a will from Gozo. Now, you need to remember that in 1551, all right, there was this great Turkish, um, we call it Radzia, an incursion, and most of the Gazetan population, all right, was taken off to slavery, and apparently um, no documents were saved. Now, when we were sorting at the archives, we found a lot and a lot of documents belonging to Gozo, to pre-1551. So you can imagine, we can rewrite history. We can rewrite Gozetan history. And our earliest document comes from Gozo. It's this will of a man, Nuchus Camira, and uh, basically, in this will, apart from you know having a lot of place names, um, the one thing that is is you know really beautiful to see is old Maltese, because the notary had to write down any vernacular terms um, in um, in the way he heard them. All right, so uh, you get you get place names in Maltese. And uh, apart from that, there, there, there are also various customs, like, for example, um, this Nuchus is mentioning that, you know, in order to enter heaven and to gain brownie points, they used to leave um, uh, in their will that, uh, that um, they're leaving certain uh, fields in order so that the proceeds from these fields um, can then uh, be uh, given out to the poor. And this was uh, in the form of like a party, which was done on the parvis of the church. And it was called the Zerda. And we found the earliest reference for this party um, in this document, which, um, which was going to be thrown away. We saved it from the bin. How could this be in a position to be thrown away? How could, Caroline, how could this actually happen? Actually, it's because of lack of awareness. If you don't know what you have, if you don't know how precious it is, then you cannot appreciate it. And this is the task of the Notarial Archives Foundation, um, which is uh, spearheaded by Joan and uh, a very strong group of, of people. And uh, this is the task, bringing awareness. Well, let me play devil's advocate just for a second, because it's all well and nice to have documents from pre the siege and, and throughout time and the time of Henry VIII and Christopher Columbus. But what's the relevance to today? Why are they still important? And are they, are they important? Of course, they're very important for us because they give us our identity. You need to remember that at the archives we have the earliest literary piece in Maltese, the Cantilena. So this is prior to 1485. Hadn't it been for this um, chance find, we wouldn't have known that Maltese was written in Roman characters, you know, like, so it's very important. It's very relevant for our identity. Apart from that, the notary um, and notarial records um, are the only archive in Malta that have an uninterrupted history, a 600-year-old history that is uninterrupted. So it's unlike the archives of the Inquisition, you know, that, that at one point, um, uh, you know, um, they stop. They they stop giving us 
um, a history on, on society, the idea notarial archives continue giving us more and more. And we can compare because of this long period. So they are very, very le relevant even um, when, you, when you consider certain problems um, which um, surround us today, even globally, like human trafficking. Remember that slavery at one point was something legal. So you can just imagine um, the same thing happening now. Um, but now it's illegal, but at the time it was legal. So you can compare even when you, you read about you know, the persons being sold like a woman with her one-year-old child. You just think about that, and you think, this woman is in, in a strange place. She, she doesn't know the language. She doesn't know if the baby she's holding in her hands all right, will be taken away from her. Will she see it again? And you just read the documents, and you just, you know, you want to cry. You want to save that woman, but you can't. And you think, what happened to her? God knows. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in some ways, history is repeating itself and has repeated itself over and over and over again. And still today, we see not dissimilar situations happening and has been happening in the news recently. I'm coming back to you, Caroline, because you are treasurer for the Notarial Archives Foundation. I want to ask you a question. If these documents are so incredibly important, and if Malta has one of the richest and longest histories in the world, why is there not funds to make sure that these documents are preserved, are put on display, are shared, are documented? Why do we need a foundation for it? I guess there are many similar uh, difficulties in other areas. Um, uh so I will not go into the merit of funding. There are funds that uh, one can apply for um, as voluntary organizations. There, there are um, avenues that one can take, but obviously you need manpower. And our powerhouse is Joan. Because she came up with this fantastic scheme, which is very simple to understand, very simple to manage, and uh, very attractive. So because the, um, the archives offer a vast range of subjects, then a lot of people can be interested. You'll find anything for anyone really there. So um, the adopt a document, this adoption, has worked really well. It was a brilliant idea. So you feel that you're adopting a document that is really oozing of history. Now, whether it's you know private companies or other groups or interested or individuals, um, the task is to look for that document and present it to the right person. And then you engage them, obviously, because there's interest. Say, for example, if you have a, um, a document that lists, for example, anything that's got to do with wine, like some wine importer, and you have a list of that, then you know where you have to go. And you get uh, sponsorship for that, but you need to prepare a document, you need to prepare a presentation, uh, you need to lobby, you have to take your time to go and see these people. Um, you know, and obviously when you say, we have a volunteer organization, they know that you're going to ask for money, but they get so much engaged. And another thing that uh, the Notarial Archives Foundation has done is invite people on location. So when they actually entered 
um, the premises where they could see these documents, it sort of gives you the shivers. And you say, really? As Joan is saying, uh, you know, from the 1400, from the 1500, you can show them even uh, things that they can relate maybe of later uh, periods. So that's how you engage people. Listen, I'm already incredibly excited about this and it sounds amazing. I want to just touch on this idea of somebody adopting a document. If somebody comes along and I've, I've researched and I've seen that lots of companies have got involved in, and as you said, they've found areas that involve them and adopted documents. But what does that mean? Where does that money go? Why do you need money? Uh, as Caroline is saying, um, we need to preserve this, not only do the treatment, which is different than preservation, uh, we also need to preserve them. And therefore, um, a lot of the money goes into preservation. Um, we need to ensure that these documents, um, they have lived for many centuries and that they continue to do so for, for the for posterity, for the younger generations. So what does that involve? What do you need to do to preserve them? That involves um, having on board a lot of professional people, which obviously then need a framework to work, to work in. And to create this framework, you need financial backing. Um, we've had a lot of um, financial backing from big institutions, and it's thanks to the big institutions that we managed to, you know, um, get on board professional people. Um, and that was when, uh, you know, the real work kick-started, because initially um, it was very piecemeal. We tried to, as much as possible, to uh, do what we can with the documents. But then, um, I always, I always had a motto for the for the archive: um, if it's not the best, it won't do for us. You know, like and in Italian they have a saying: "Dalle stalle alle stelle." You know, so um, and that's what I wanted for the archives. I wanted to create a model. I wanted to show people that if you persevere, you can get and go. Um, you know, as far as as much as you want to. And on board, um, along the way, I found um, a lot of help, but also um, I found people who are as passionate and sometimes even more passionate than me. And that's my team. And We're going to talk about those mm -hmm. in just a second because I, I love a quote from the description of the foundation. We're going to come to that in just a moment. Before we get there, I want to come back to just so that someone who is a layperson like myself can understand what the foundation does and the depth of what you have to do. There is a quote that says from an interview, when Joan Abella first saw the way the documents were being kept, she nearly passed out. <laughs> yes. So how were they being kept? And on a practical level... I'm going to come back to that question. What does preserving the documents mean? Do they have to be kept in a, a temperature with no humidity or kind of plastic wallets? Or how, how does that look? Well, pre first of all, preservation um, means that you prioritize because you don't have enough money to do all the things you want to do at the same time. So that's the first thing. You, you study your collection and uh, ultimately after you study the collection, you prioritize, which are the items which you want um, to preserve first, all right, to treat first. And the list of priorities was, first of all, um, they were um, very carelessly um, you stored on wooden shelving. So the first thing we did was um, change the shelving into metal shelving. That was the first one. Why is that important? 
because obviously wood um, attracts insects, and therefore you need metal shelving, which is better. Um, as regards the environment, we couldn't do much um, without you know, substantial funding. So that was something which was not a priority at the time. But then the other priority was, um, as I said, getting on board professional people. Um, and uh, I got on board uh, a professional book and paper conservator. And um, I tried to find the best we have in Malta. Uh, she was abroad at the moment. So I contacted her, and you know, um, and I told her, "Listen, when are you?" I knew that she um, she uh, she came to Malta to visit her parents um, in different intervals. So I told her, "Listen, when are you going to visit next? Uh, would you like to visit the archives?" And she said, "Yes, I would love to." And uh, from from that moment on, you know, she she got hooked with the archives, like, and uh, we communicated, and um, I managed to get the first sponsorship, and she um, basically treated the Cantilena, which also was in a very pitiful state. Preservation means not only treatment of the document, but uh, making a priority list, all right, in order to preserve, preserve. Um, ensuring that they are accessible as well. Why? Because accessibility leads to awareness, and people need to be aware that they have a treasure. It is a paper treasure, but it is a treasure, you know, as great as the temples, as our churches, you know, as our palaces. It, it, without documents, you cannot write history. You can only invent history. So that is very important. Nowadays, we are known for ultimately digging up information, which a lot of the time um, needs to document certain aspects of, of anything which is you know, um, currently being discussed. Like, I don't know, the Mattia Preti painting, which the government just bought. Um, we found the, the original document when um, it was being sold from the Knights to a private collector. Um, we, we, ha we have a lot of these, you know, these um, research agendas going, we have getting all the along. secrets. <laughs> I love the fact you've got all the secrets. That's we do. awesome. Come you are us. definitely the ladies to know. Uh, Caroline, you mentioned about the team and you also, Joan, have mentioned about the people that you work with and the people that support the foundation. And when I looked at the description of the foundation, it reads, the organization is supported by over 40 volunteers ranging from highly specialized professionals to housewives and students. And it's rather notable that there's a mention of housewives because it's not, not something you'd normally come across. Is it part of your agenda to include women or housewives in the foundation, both for the foundation and for the work that you do? Not only women. We have also male volunteers, um, but um, the majority of our volunteers are women. And yes, we um, the scope is to, as much as possible, um, to accept all at the archives. You know, the, the only requirement is that you are passionate. That's the only requirement. You need to be passionate because even when we organize things, um, you know, the volunteers get excited and as much as possible, we try to motivate them. And that's why we, 
you know, constantly organize things. Like we even organize lectures for for our volunteers. Um, we organize like um, the 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 chana. It's a historic meal. So, and this is all with the support of our volunteers. They are the ones who serve the people, you know. So, not only are they serving the country, but now they are always acting as waiters, you know, and they are very proud of it. And that's, you know, you see the joy in their eyes. They're doing something which is very humble, you know, like we, we've had, um, like, the head of dentistry who is serving people, you know, like, and all because he feels that... Um, this is important because we need to, to, give, um, to, to give forward the message that we need to preserve this patrimony. And that's, I think that's, that's our um, strong point, that we are all equal. We all work differently, but we are all equal. I do the same chores as, I don't know, um, any other volunteer. I remember, and I tell them I'm very proud of this, when I started off as a volunteer, I used to clean the toilets for my volunteers. I used to buy the bucket, the, 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 you know, everything needed for, for cleaning up. Because when I, I was of the opinion that when my volunteers come, they needed to find a dignified place. And I am very proud of having done that because the rewards are exceptional. The people are so, so great. Their love for history is what pushes you forward, what gives you the momentum, you know, to persevere. And that's the magic word, perseverance. Perseverance, perseverance. Because you find a lot and a lot of stumbling blocks, especially from people who should know better. And especially from people who can, uh, you know, make a difference in what you do. May I ask what the inference is? People who should know better and who should be making a difference? Because um, sometimes you get people um, who are, you know, who are the official keepers um, of these collections. And instead of working with you, they think that um, somehow yeah, you are a stumbling block for them. And instead of helping, helping you, instead of, you know, reaching out, they try to block you. Even though that all of this is for the good of the nation? Yes, 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 even though, even though. But the, the position is, it's like uh, Palazzo Falson. So uh, it's a historic house museum. We are, as Fondazione Patrimonio Malti, we are managing it, but it is not our property. But we love it as if it is ours. So we do everything. We do fundraising, as Joan is saying. So most uh, organizations work in that way, especially anything that's got to do with, with culture, really. Uh, but you are looking after something that is not yours. Somehow, while you are looking after it, it becomes yours. <laughs> you want it to be yours. Because you it. love it. You love it. And you know how much... Uh, you know, time and dedication you've put there. So it really becomes part of you. The thing is that people who decide, uh, you know, who have the power to decide what they do, which direction, uh, for example, the, the museum is going, then it comes from, uh, you know, the owners, the, 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 the another foundation. Um, so rather than not saying, for example, for or against, 
it is more of like ownership. So there's this, this uh, battle in a way. So we are really sweating it out to make sure that you know, people will get a good feel of the place to present it in the best manner, same as the Notarial Archives Foundation. So, but then it's not yours and the last decision is not in your hands. So you feel uh, you know, that, that you wish you had that power because you can do so much more. And you expect the people who are in power to be right behind you, but <laughs> it's, it's not but always it's, in that way. Essentially, they're not the ones that came to clean the toilets. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of passion that you're going to evoke once you've cleaned the toilets. I, I love the fact that you are both incredibly passionate about what you do, about Palazzo Falzon, about the notarial ar archives. I, I'm thrilled that you exist and that you are fighting to make sure that these huge parts of history are not just preserved, but are accessible. Because as you said, uh, Joan, it's important for all of us to understand what went before us so that we can know what's going ahead of us. I want to ask you as we close, and I could talk to you forever, but I want you to both tell me if you had uh, both to choose a document, a piece of clothing, an artifact or an archive or a painting that has particular significance to you, what would it be, starting with you, Joan? Um, particular significance would be, I think it's not just one item. There are the, the whole 55 volumes of Notary Salvaggi da Via because um, they were in a really pitiful state and we managed to get a, a really good sponsorship for them. And now, um, you know, when I see them, they are my pride and joy, you know, just looking at them, looking at the whole number of 55 volumes neatly um, stacked near each other and, you know, proudly saying that I did my part for saving history is something which really fulfills me. And that's the satisfaction you get um, out of volunteering. It's the fact knowing that even with, you know, the, the, the little you have done, you have saved a part of history for posterity. So I encourage everyone, um, even people who think that volunteering is for people um, who don't have, you know, who, who don't have anything else to do. Volunteering is for people who are passionate. We have a lot, a lot on, on our plates, and we still find time. We still find time, um, you know, not only to preserve history, but to motivate others so that we encourage the young ones to take up positions in, in, you know, in the heritage uh, sector so that we ensure that um, what um, this passion that we have rubs off onto them. And that's the only way how to ensure that we get the best for our heritage. Fantastic. And for you, Caroline, a piece of an artifact or a piece of clothing or a piece of uh, art that means particular, particular significance? Um, I've done a lot of research on documents at the notarial archives, and mostly I was looking at dowries um, over different centuries. So I met a lot of women there from different social status and looked into their wardrobe. I was speaking in, seeing what they had there and what they were giving over, you know, to other generations. So um, for me, I would grab all the dowries <laughs> and keep studying them to see what all these women were wearing 
and how they uh, carved their uh, identity through clothes. This is amazing that you can tie in your passion for, for fashion and history in the same breath. I love that. It's amazing. I have one last question for you, and I'm going to fire this one at, uh, at Joan. What would you most like to achieve for the foundation and for Malta? Uh, my greatest dream would be that the foundation would ultimately be in a position and in an executive uh, role at the notarial archives so that um, the vision we had for the archives, the future vision we have in turning it into a center of research and also of conservation um, would materialize. I'm, that's, that's my greatest wish. Um, also, that the team I have um, at the moment are all would be, all be on board with me, because we have you know we have walked this path all together, and it wasn't always um, you know um, sunny. So, uh, as much as possible, I I would like for the foundation to um, ultimately uh, be the one running the archive, so that we can give the nation all right um, not only a, a lot and a lot of new stories, uh, but also we could give the nation a brighter future and, you know, like encourage the young ones to, as I said, follow, um, follow these, these professions because they are uh, the people who, who look after the archives are people who are very, very professional. Right? So you need to study a lot and a lot because at times we think that that, um, you know, being a curator or being a conservator is just like you know, being a, like a bookbinder. We don't distinguish between um, sir, uh, having a craft, a skill, and having a profession. And that's another thing which we would like also to promote as, as a foundation, that we need professional people to look after our heritage. We can't have amateurs anymore. Ladies, I love the fact that you've come on this empowered podcast and you've brought history to life through your passion i'm thrilled that you came and i'm thrilled that you've shared your stories and your passion with us thank you so much for being with us today lovely thank you thank you thank you so much for having us